I don't know about y'all, but I am super excited about the weather. This is my favorite time of the year. It's like a smile begins to form on my face when it gets cold. And I start sweating and the mosquitoes stop coming out. It's, a, it's an amazing time. get to hand out candy and eat good food and just enjoy it. I, I just love this time of year. Um, so anyway, uh, John chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue walking through uh, the gospel of John, this gospel that was written, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. John tells us at the end of his gospel, that's why he wrote it. He says that he didn't write down everything. And that the stuff he did write down, he wrote down so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. And so when we come to John chapter 3, we're going to see more of that. <clears throat> so John chapter 3, uh, and this morning we're going to be talking about the fact uh, that God has shown his love to us and that God's love shown to us gives us life. He defines love for us. I think love is kind of hard to explain and, and describe in our culture. Our words for love are, are kind of messed up, right? I mean, think about it. How many of you love tacos, right? I don't know, right? We love tacos, but I also love my wife. How messed up is that? Like tacos or my wife. And so we, we have a hard time talking about... It's a, it's a question sometimes, right? No, I'm just kidding. I always love my wife more than tacos because we can make tacos at home. But anyway, but uh, I mean, we talk about loving wings. We talk about loving this show or loving that or doing this or doing that and loving taking trips and these different things. And so when we talk about the word love, it can be confusing. It can be... Un, we can have a hard time understanding what we mean. And the reality is, is that in our culture... We use the word love for everything. And so it's kind of been diluted. It's been robbed of some of its meaning. But when we come to John chapter 3, God defines love for us. God shows us what true love really is in that his love is unlike any other love in the universe. It is a love that is so great and so amazing that his love gives us life. Unlike tacos that just expand our waistline. And so his love gives us life. And so first this morning, I want you to see that God's love gives us life. And not only does it give us life, it gives us new life. As we walk through this first part of John's, uh, John chapter 3, what we're going to see is that God doesn't, God's love doesn't give us an old, worn-out life. It doesn't give us a life with a bunch of baggage, I, I, if you want to go there. I, I think about... Um, since we bought our house, it was not a new house, it was a used house. And with a used house comes baggage. Like every time I go to do one project to fix one thing, I tear something else up. Like I pull off a piece of trim and I find out that piece of trim was hiding something else that was broken, right? And so every layer has another layer under that layer every time we work on something around the house. Or, you know, you think about a used vehicle. You buy a used vehicle and you get it home and, oh, by the way, this door on this side doesn't open. I wish that guy would have told me that ahead of time, right? I mean, there's always something with used things that you, you don't see at the beginning. Well, John tells us here that Jesus gives us, God's love gives us not an old life, but a new life. And we see this through the eyes of a guy named Nicodemus. And so John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so right here in, in verses 1 through 2, 
we see what's going on. And so this guy named Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Jews. He's a guy who's important. He's a guy who's in charge. He's a guy who people look up to and respect. He comes to Jesus at night. We don't know why he came to Jesus at night. Maybe he's afraid of anybody seeing him come to Jesus. He's afraid of, you know, people talking about him. Maybe he doesn't like lines. Maybe he doesn't like crowds. And so he decides to come to Jesus when nobody else is around. We, we're not exactly sure why he comes to Jesus at night, but he comes to him under the cover of darkness for whatever reason to talk to him. And he says, Jesus, i got to know something. Remember, Jesus and Nicodemus is part of the Pharisees. They are, they're confused by Jesus. They, see, Jesus has come on the scene and he's blowing up their traditions. He's saying, no, you, y'all shouldn't be doing that. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Remember, he's running people out of the temple who are buying and selling and trading. He's saying that they're lying to the people, that they're hypocrites and all these things. And so the Pharisees aren't real big fans of the things Jesus is saying. There's a problem, though. He says, but at the same time, we know that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So they're like, we really don't like what you've got to say, but you really do back up what you say with proof. And so I'm struggling here. You know, what's your deal, Jesus? Where are you coming from on this? How come you're able to do these things if you're not from God? And if you are from God, why are you blowing everything up all the time? And so he's like, what's your deal, Jesus? Look at verse 3. Jesus answers him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus responds to Nicodemus basically the opposite of what Nicodemus is looking for. Nicodemus comes saying, what's up with you? And Jesus' answer is, you don't need to worry about what's up with me. You need to worry about what's up with you. And so he says, Jesus, how are you able to do this? And Nicodemus says, actually, Nicodemus, you're not going to heaven unless you're born again. He gives him this metaphor, this picture that is, uh, as some have said, this is a, a pregnant metaphor, right? I mean, it's be born again. And so we, we see that Jesus, he gives him this really deep and, and crazy idea. He says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you can't be saved. Unless you're born again, you can't go to heaven. And so verse 4, Nicodemus is obviously a little troubled by what Jesus says. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, that's a valid question, isn't it? Like, I thought that was a one-time deal, bro. Like, I have to go through that again? I don't think that's a possibility. What do you mean, be born again? And so verse 5, Jesus explains what he means. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so, you know, Nicodemus is like, I don't get it. And so Jesus says, listen, flesh begets flesh, spirit begets spirit. He's saying flesh comes from flesh, spirit comes from spirit. So spiritual things are born of spiritual things. He's saying you need to be born of the Spirit. And you'll be born of the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, you were born of your mother. Yes, you've entered into this world physically. But this first birth is not good enough. There's a second birth that Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to experience. This new birth. And this is what I mean by new life. What Nicodemus is asking, I don't think he really thinks that Jesus wants him to uh, you know, be physically born again. I think he's understanding, like, how do I get to start over? 
How do I begin my whole life over again? How do I hit reset? I remember my brother and I, when we were little, we used to play Nintendo, and you know we'd spend all day on Mario trying to make it, and then somebody come along and hit the reset button. You had to start all over from scratch. It was horrible, a horrible experience. And so I, some of y'all may remember that from when you were kids. It was, fist fights would break out over it. It was stupid. But, but I remember you know, having to start over and start from scratch, start from the very beginning. That doesn't sound so good if you're playing a video game, but man, it's amazing if you're in life and you have baggage that you've been carrying around. And you start thinking about all of the, the things that you've done that you wish you wouldn't have done. All the things you've said you wish you wouldn't have said. All the thoughts you've had you wish you wouldn't have had. All the things you've seen that you wish you wouldn't have seen. And you think, I've got to deal with all these things and I've got to answer for all these things. And Jesus comes in and he says, no. What you need if you're trying to get to heaven is to not try and fix all that stuff you did. You need to be born again. You need to start all over spiritually. You need a new birth, a new life. And guys, that's what Jesus gives us. God in Jesus gives us a brand new start with him. God in Jesus gives us a brand new relationship with him where all that stuff that we've done, all that stuff we've said and thought and heard and saw gets washed away, gets thrown out. And we have a brand new life with him and a brand new future with him. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he simply gives it to us in his love. I want to tell you this morning that he's offering to you a second chance. A chance to be born again spiritually. Just as a baby is born and you have all these possibilities and all of these uh, things that are look, the baby is looking forward to in, in its future. That's what we get as believers. Those who trust on Christ get a brand new start, a brand new life where we can start over with God. And so God gives us a brand new start. Nicodemus is blown away by this. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He's still trying to wrap his mind around this. Look at verse 9. <coughs> Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can, I believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so Nicodemus is still scratching his head. He's still trying to figure it out. He's in shock. He's saying, wait a minute. You're saying I get to start all over. I get to start fresh. I get to have a brand new life with God. That does not sound possible. How in the world are you going to pull this off? How in the world can you offer this to me? And so he tells us here in verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so Jesus said, No one went up to heaven except for the one who came down from heaven, me. Jesus says, I'm the one, who've went up, I'm the one who's come down from heaven. Nobody knows what I know. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so, first we see that the love of God gives eternal life. Secondly, we see that the love of God gives eternal life. It gives us life forever in a couple of different ways. And we'll, we'll see this unpacked as we walk through this here in a minute. First off, it gives us eternal life in the sense that you live forever, un unnumbered days. But secondly, in the sense that you have life of eternal value. Remember, this is that word Zoe. This is this word for life that John uses over and over again through his gospel, this idea of eternal spiritual life. And so it's not just its length. 
It's its value. This is what God's love gives to us. He gives us love that is He gives us life that is new and life that is forever and life that's of eternal value. But how do we get this eternal life? How do we get this new life? Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's referring to a passage in Numbers. And so the people of Israel had been walking through the wilderness following God for a while. As they followed God, as they followed Moses through the wilderness, remember God's people, Israel, that he took out of Egypt, as they followed him, things didn't always go the way they wanted them to go. Y'all ever have stuff in your life that doesn't go the way you want it to go? That happened a lot to Israel. You know what Israel did? They complained. And they complained a lot. Anybody here ever complain? It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too loud. It's too soft. Right? I mean, it's too light. It's too dark. We can go down the list. I promise there's probably been plenty of complaints already from you this morning. We all complain. We all have things we don't like in our life. Well, the people of Israel complained and complained and complained until God decided to punish them for it. And so he sent snakes into their camp. Like He, he sent these poisonous snakes that went around and bit people in their camp. I, I, I just want to point out, like, when we complain, God doesn't send snakes into the camp, thankfully, right? Uh, and we can praise him for that this morning. And so they, they, he sent snakes into their camp, and they, they, these snakes bit the people, and, and as they bit the people, the people would get sick, and they, they were dying, and so they'd cry out to God. And, and so God has Moses make a, an image of a bronze serpent and put it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And he says, if anybody will just look at this bronze serpent, they'll be healed. Basically, they'll just simply trust me enough to go and look at this bronze serpent, they'll be healed. All they got to do, and they will have life. They won't, their life won't be taken from them. They'll be given a new lease on life, basically. All you got to do is look. It's a crazy, crazy passage of Scripture. It's a crazy, crazy event in the history of Israel. And Jesus says, yeah, that's basically what's going to happen with me. I'm going to be lifted up, and all who look on me will have new life and have life eternal. I mean, it's, that's insane, right? To have new eternal life, all we have to do is look upon the Son of God. There, there's a guy that uh, we, those of us who, who preach a lot uh, really admire. His name was Charles Spurgeon. People call him the Prince of Preachers. Well, he loved to tell the story of his conversion. He, he was about 15 years old, and uh, at 15 he was pretty miserable looking for where he was going to land in life. He didn't really know what was going to happen. And so he, he happened to be... Uh, in, a, in a small town one day on a Sunday when it, it basically snowed everybody in. And, you know, so you can just picture this morning, first day of deer season, kind of the same situation, right? And so there, there wasn't many people around. And so he was cold. He was looking for a place to stay. And so he sneaks into the back of this little primitive Methodist church. He said there was only like 10 people there. And in fact, the guy preaching wasn't even the, the actual pastor because he couldn't get out of his house. And he said that, that the guy wasn't trained in speaking. He wasn't trained preacher and said he just kind of read his text because that's all he could do. But he said that his text was out of Isaiah 45 uh, that says, look unto me all, all the earth and be saved. Be you saved. Look upon me and be saved. And the guy just kept hammering that. He said, how hard is it to look? Anybody can look. It doesn't take a smart man to look. It doesn't take any work to look. All you have to do is look. And so he keeps saying this over and he said after about 10 minutes, the guy was done. He had nothing left to say. And he said that as he was finishing speaking, he looked and he saw Charles Spurgeon, this 15-year-old man, boy, sitting at the back of the, the church just trying to blend in. He said, but I stuck out like a sore thumb because nobody else was there. 
And he said the man looked at him, looked him flat in the eyes and said, Young man, you look miserable. And he said, well, I did look miserable, but I wasn't used to people pointing that out from the pulpit, right? I, I thought about trying that, you know, we'll just go around the room. You look miserable. But anyway, but and so he says, you look miserable. And he says, he said to Spurgeon, he said, and you will continue to be miserable both in life and death if you refuse to look upon the sun. And Spurgeon said, I was ready to do a thousand different things to try and earn my way into God's presence. And he was telling me all I had to do was look. And right then and there, Spurgeon looked. He looked upon the sun. He gave his heart to Christ. And he becomes, like I said, the prince of preachers. I mean, he had thousands upon thousands that would come and hear him preach because God used him in mighty, mighty ways simply because he looked. Guys, the, to have eternal life, to have new life this morning, God does not give you a list of rules. He does not give you a list of commands. He simply calls you to look upon Jesus and be saved. The love of God gives us new life. He gives us eternal life. Thirdly, the, the love of God gives life to sinners. It gives life to those who do not deserve life. Look in verse 16. John three sixteen. Y'all never heard that verse before, right? The verse Tim Tebow wrote? No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the, 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 <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. Now you've got to understand, God, John is not saying here that God so loved the trees and the forest, like God's not some big hippie that's a tree hugger, like it's not that type of love for the world. He's talking about the people in the world. When John uses this word world here, it's cosmos. It's the, it, it, he almost always uses it to describe the group of people or the people on this planet that are opposed to God. So everyone. He's pointing out the sinfulness of this world. He's pointing out the wickedness in the, the, way that God, the way that the people of this world thumb their nose at God. And so when he says God so loved the world, he says God so loved sinful people, wicked and evil people. When we talk about God's love, it's not directed at those who deserve His love. It's not directed at those who can give Him anything. It's directed at those who don't deserve it at all. Totally different type of love than our love. Like we love tacos not because... Tacos are evil, but because tacos are good, right? They give us pleasure when we eat them. They make us happy. If tacos didn't make us happy, we wouldn't love them. Guys, God does not love us because there was something in us. He loves us because of who is, what is in Him. Our value comes not from ourselves. It comes from His love that He gives us. Like if you're here this morning and you're afraid you don't measure up, you're afraid that you're not uh, lovable by God, you're afraid you can never earn it, you're right. But that's the place you ought to be. God so loved us wicked sinners that He gave His only Son. It says here, John says here that He so loved. He didn't just love a little. He so loved. He loved in this way. He loved us so much that He sent His only Son. His only begotten Son. The, the only begotten of the Father. The, the, the perfect Son. God the Father sent His Son for us. He gave God's love isn't something he talks about. It's something that actually causes him to act to the point of him giving his only son. He doesn't just simply talk about loving us. No, it actually causes him to do something. He gives, and he gives his only son the greatest measure of love. Romans 8, a passage I quote all the time. Paul said that if he has given us his son, will he not freely give us all things? 
Guys, if you've trusted on Christ, if you've believed that Jesus died in your place, do you honestly believe this morning you could ever do something to make God say, I don't love you? You cost me too much. I'm going to tell you, if you cost me my son, there's nothing left for me to give. This is the utmost love in the universe. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. There's nothing you could do to move beyond that love or beyond that grace or be too far gone for him to pull you back. If he's given you this, what is there left for him to give? He freely gave us his son. He so loved the world, this sinful world, that he gave us his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He, he says, so that whosoever or whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, we, we sometimes leave off this part, but it's kind of important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's the deal. Jesus did not come to condemn even though he could have. Jesus did not come to destroy even though he could have. He came to redeem us. Guys, we were doing a good job of condemning ourselves on our own. We don't have to do anything else to be condemned before God this morning. We don't have to do anything else to be guilty before God this morning. We already are. He outs us in verse 16. God so loved the world, these sinful creations of God, these rebellious people. He loved them so much he sent his only son. So God didn't send his son to condemn us, but to redeem us, to pull us out of our sin. If you're here this morning, you are a sinner. If you're not here, you're a sinner too. I guess we already include all those folks who aren't here, right? But, uh, but they're sinners as well. We all are sinners. We all fall under this category. All of sin and come short of God's glory. So Jesus didn't come to point that out. He came to redeem us from it. He came to set us free from our sins. We already have God's wrath on us this morning until Jesus comes and sets us free. And so this morning, guys, yes, you're sinners. Yes, You've broken God's law. And no, you could never do it on your own. If you could do it on your own, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. No, if you could do it on your own, you, you wouldn't have needed him. But he came to redeem us. He came to set us free. He came to set sinners free and call them back to himself. Look at verse 18. He comes to call us to change our love. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And, and so what John says here is you have two options. Love or hatred, rejection or reception. Those who see Jesus and run to Jesus are those who believe. Those who see Jesus and run away from Jesus are those who don't. You either go on loving yourself and the things of this world or you'll go on loving Jesus and not the things of this world. There's no neutral place here this morning. There's only one way to receive Christ and that's through believing on Him. There's only one way to see the kingdom of God and that's through being born again. And the way you're born again is by believing on Him. His love calls you out of the place you are so that you will follow Him. And so, how does this love change us? I, I want to get into the, the application side of this because I, I think this is important. First off, it changes us in, in the fact that it takes away our pride and puts our focus on God. Think about it. How simple is it to become a Christian? You believe. 
I mean, God takes out all of our boasting and our pride in this. He doesn't say, here's a list of steps in order to become a Christian. He says, you believe, you look upon the Son. Like, if you're going around taking credit for your salvation, you might as well be Al Gore claiming that you invented the Internet, right? I mean, there's no way we can possibly claim that we are to be honored or we are to be praised for what we have experienced or the changes that God is working in our life. This is something that He does in us. It's something He does through us. We have no credit. There's no way we can possibly say this morning, I am who I am because of my hard work. No, you are who you are because of who God made you. In Philippians 2, Paul says that we work out our our, uh, salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. In other words, yes, we're called to work out our salvation. Yes, we're called to serve Him in our everyday life. But the desire to do so and the ability to do so comes from Him. We get no credit in this, guys. We have no right to look down on the people around us and say, Ha! I'm better than you. Ha! You need to get on my standards. Ha! You need to get on my level. We can't do that. I know nobody ever goes around saying, Ha! I'm sorry. But that's stuck on that. But but, but we, we have a tendency to look down on the people around us as though we have arrived and they haven't. Like our salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. It takes away our ability to be proud or live in pride and judgment. Secondly, it gives us an example of how to love each other. God's love for us isn't based on us, it's based on Him. I mean, how much difference does this make in a relationship where when someone does something we may not like, we love them anyway? Where when our spouse does something we may not like, we love them anyway. I mean, how much difference is that? does that make in a marriage when you love each other unconditionally? When you love each other in spite of each other? I mean, it doesn't take very long for your spouse to do something that makes you not happy, right? I mean, even tacos. You go back to tacos. Like, eventually they give you heartburn. But you go back to them anyway, right? I think we can show our spouse and we can show the people in our lives more love than we show tacos. But, but God's love is unconditional. He loves us because of who He is, not because of who we are. Thirdly, it takes away our excuses for self-pity and self-loathing and misery. And hear me out on this. It, what, what I mean by this is that those who have come to Christ, we, we have uh, no right to say that nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm just going to eat worms. Right? I mean, that song, y'all remember that song? It's a song, I'm pretty sure. But even if everybody else in your life abandons you, even if everybody else in your life walks away from you, you're loved, and not only are you loved, you are so loved that God sent His Son to die for you. That's hard to remember. I'm not talking about stuff I don't struggle with. I mean, the hardest, the deepest theological truth in the entire Bible is this right here, that God so loves you that He sent His Son. Maybe the deepest song we sing is Jesus loves me, this I know. Because there's nothing more powerful and more hard to constantly remind yourself of than this one truth. And so like I said, I'm not saying things that I got figured out and I always have a handle on. I'm saying I know when I forget that God loves me and that He still loves me. That's where I struggle. God loves you this morning. And if you're not a Christian, God calls you with this love to come and receive life. This life that is new, this life that you can never earn or deserve, this life that is eternal, this life that is eternal of eternal value. He's made the first steps, he's made the first move, if you will, to receive you to himself. As I was thinking about the way that God loves us, I couldn't help but think about uh, my relationship with my wife. 
uh, and also because I know if I don't talk about her, y'all think that we're mad at each other, and so I got to bring her up. But, but uh, we when we first started dating, like I ha- I have zero game. If you ever wonder, I have zero game, and so we I'd moved to Memphis, and I, right after Memphis, I'd went to a local church that had a pancake breakfast for all the seminary students, and so I was there, and there's this cute little bubbly girl bouncing around, young lady, if you will, bouncing around. I was like, man, she's cute. Hmm. I wonder about her. I wonder who if she's dating anybody. So that was my first thought. That was my first impression of Crystal. And no, it wasn't another girl. It was actually Crystal. I'm telling the truth. And so, so anyway, we, we began to figure out ways to talk to each other. And I'm super afraid, right? I'm afraid that she's not interested in me. She's kind of afraid I'm not interested in her. So we're both playing hard to get. We kind of do this little do-si-do for, for a couple of weeks. And then finally, we, we, we uh, go on a kind of a date. And as I'm walking her to her car afterwards, I say, hey, I'll give you a call sometime. And she says, really? You ain't got my number. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'd been too afraid to even ask for a number. Like, that's, that's how dumb I was. And so anyway, I, I got her number, and next thing I know, we're married. But, but she, uh, I mean, it just happened like that. It was fast. But, but, uh, but I, I mean... I, had she not made the first step, I'm not sure I would have ever been smart enough to, to ask her out. She was the one who finally was brave enough to do it. Like, it still makes me feel like a coward to this day. I'm embarrassed to telling y'all. You're like, yeah, I know. I wouldn't tell that story. But, but anyway, if she had not made the first move, I don't know if I ever would have. Guys, you don't have to worry about that with the Lord. You don't have to worry about rejection. You don't have to worry about putting yourself out there and them saying, nope. Sorry, buddy. I don't know what kind of message I was sending you. I don't know what kind of mixed signals I was sending you, but I'm not interested. You don't have to worry about that this morning. He's made it very clear. He loves you and He wants to spend eternity with you. He, he loves you so much that He sent His only Son to die for you. He loves you so much that He wrote His Word so you could see that He loves you. He, he loves you so much He had people build this building. He had you come in this morning and, and suffer through this sermon just so you could hear that He loves you so much He sent His only Son to die for you and all you have to do to receive it is say, I want that. I want Him. I want to live with Him forever and He will give it to you. And so guys, if you're waiting on Him to make the first move, He already has. He's given you His number and everything. He just wants you to come and enjoy Him and receive Him. So come and enjoy and receive Him. And if you have, share that with the people around you. Share that love with the people in your life. Don't forget it. If you've slidden away from Him and you've gotten far away from Him, guess what? When you come to Him and say, Lord, I messed up, you know what He's going to say? I love you. I forgive you. I love you so much and I forgive you so much I sent my only Son. How could you ever think I wouldn't love you and forgive you? So come and receive His love and His forgiveness this morning. He's not playing games. He's not playing hard to get. He's made it clear He wants you. So receive Him. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank You. God, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You so much for Your Word. You're just so good. God, Your grace and Your love is so good. Lord, we pray that as we leave here today, God, that Your love would be seen in our hearts. God, that your love would be heard on our lips. And God, that we would just be reminded and be confirmed in the way that you love us and care for us. We need your help, God. We need your help to be reminded that you so loved us that you sent your only son to die for us. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stay